And welcome to another episode of Stark Raving Madness. I'm Lex. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Britt. Um, today, <laughs> we are going to be talking about the Toy Box Killer, a.k.a. David Parker Ray. And just so you guys know, this episode has a trigger warning on it for topics of extreme sexual assault and torture. Uh, just letting you guys know, this is kind of a tough episode. Um, so, before we begin, um, getting into the gruesome stuff, let's, let's talk about David Parker Ray. Oakley, Oakley. <laughs> so, David Parker Ray was born to Cecil and Eddie Ray in Belen, New Mexico on November 6, 1939. He had a younger sister named Peggy, and his family was described as poor, and they lived on a farm with Nettie's parents. So farm Cecil, family again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Cecil Ray was an abusive drunk. Neither his kids nor his wife were safe from his anger. And when David was 10 years old, <clears throat> Cecil left Nettie and the kids. And after the divorce, uh, David and Peggy were sent to live with their grandparents on a royal ranch in Mountaineer, New Mexico. So it is also said that even though they divorced, his father did come back. Like, he did see his father and his dad, like, literally would, like, beat the shit out of him. So, you know, that's... So, like, he still had something to do with his dad, though? A little bit. Like, it doesn't say how much, but it did say that his dad beat the ever-living shit out of him. Okay. So, I'm not sure if that was So, that's before. also something. Right, right. Yeah. So, it doesn't get any better when he goes to his grandparents, unfortunately. So, uh, David and Peggy's grandfather, Ethan Ray, was nearing 70 years old and expected the kids to follow the strict standards that he set and lived with. If the kids fellow failed to follow the rules, they would be physically disciplined. And it was also said that his grandfather would also beat the shit out of him. So he really couldn't catch a break from stuff like this. Uh, so he was tall and shy and awkward during school. He had a hard time fitting in and was bullied by his classmates. So damn you know, dude. Right. So like literally yeah, no break. No break. Um, in his spare time, he spent much of it drinking and using drugs alone. And his uh, sister actually described finding lewd and violent pornographic images hidden in his room when he was 13, which was around the time that he began to develop a secret fascination of sadomasochism. Sadomasochism. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. Um, after high school, he worked as an auto mechanic before joining the army where he also worked as a mechanic. Um, he received an honorable discharge, and he was actually married and divorced four times in his life. Totally. I, yeah. I, teach their own. Right. So <laughs> years later, David would tell his first wife uh, that his first victim was a woman he tied to a tree and tortured and murdered her when he had first become a teenager. God, yeah. It doesn't say like when, how old. Oh, he was. okay. Just, just like when he yeah. first became a teenager. Yeah. Um, and he was kind of believed to start his killing spree sometime during the mid-1950s. When um, was he born? 1939. Okay. So he would have been, like, young. 20s? Yeah, young teenager, early 20s. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so you can feel sorry for him as a child, but what he does as an adult is completely insane. 
Yeah. Like I felt bad reading about like his grandparents and stuff. So you can feel bad for the kid, him, but you cannot feel sorry for the adult, the adult David. Um, <clears throat> cause reading his, his stuff was pretty, pretty rough. Like I said, um, so he met his third wife in 1966 at the age of 27. Her name was Glenda Birdline, and she was 18 years old at the time that they got married. Uh, yeah. Um, they had a daughter <laughs> together around a year later who they named Glenda Jen Ray, who went by the nickname of Jessie. Mm-hmm. So I guess she was a, a junior in a woman form because she was named Glenda. What? Yeah, she was named Glenda Jean Ray. Her mom's name was Glenda. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So in 1969, three years after the birth of their daughter, David grew bored and he left to join the hippie revolution. Um, David was now 30 and he was hitchhiking across New Mexico with a girl named Sally. They described her as like a really pretty blonde girl. I don't know why that was relevant, but maybe he had a type. I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, they stayed with the owner of a truck stop and his girlfriend. Sally confided to the girlfriend that she had lost her virginity to David and was pregnant. So I'm assuming she was younger as well, like way younger than David, if she had just lost her virginity. So that doesn't mean you're necessarily a... Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are just like late bloomers, too. I guess, too. I guess. But he has a habit. He has a type. Uh, so anyway, so she admitted that she was pregnant to the girlfriend and... Days later, Sally and her possessions were gone. When the truck owner and his girlfriend asked where Sally had went, David shrugged and he said that she was a free spirit and decided to leave. And, you know, they had really gotten to know Sally pretty well. They they actually believed David. Yeah, and they soon forgot all about Sally. And I actually could not find anything. That just reminded me of this case that just got solved, actually. Uh, the, the fucking, what's it called? The uh, Alyssa... Alyssa, I know who you're talking attorney? about. Yeah, Alyssa Turney. Yeah. Yeah, her dad. Her, her, yeah, her dad said the same thing, and they, they just like just, disappeared. They yeah, just actually, got I would him. love to discover. Like, you know, they just yeah, I know, him? and you know why? Because of her sister. Yeah. Which is funny because okay, we're getting off yeah, well, topic. Yeah, we're yeah, getting yeah. Off. Anyway, that was actually that's really literally yeah. what that that line is verbatim what he said to cover up his shit. Right. And you know, those, those people believed in, I can't find anything else about her. So I don't Ah, know. I don't know if she's dead or what. Yeah. Um, okay. So pretty shortly after that, uh, David grew pretty bored of the hippie lifestyle and moved back in with his family. This seems to become a pattern of him being bored very easily. And you'll find out later on why he's got a pattern of this. Okay. Yeah. Um, he tried to be a good father figure, but he failed. And we'll get into that a little later as well. Okay. I don't like the sound of that yeah. one already. Well, not quite what you're thinking. Okay. But it's, it's still fucking weird. Okay. Okay. So he began getting deeper and deeper into the underground bondage, bondage scene. Years went by, and after two failed marriages, David moved to the community of Elephant Butte, which I thought it was Elephant Butt, but it's Butte. Okay. Uh, in the 80s, where he would take residence at 513 Bass Road for the remainder of his life. So, Elephant Butte was something of a retirement community. It had about only 700 homes, and they were around the shores of the Elephant Butte Lake, which was an enormous reservoir of deep opop. 
opaque, opaque. What? Opaque? Opaque, yeah. It's a color, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, he spent most of the 80s going deeper into the Bonners community and network contacts that fueled his thirst for violence and torture. He would kidnap women and young girls and torture them for days to satisfy his cravings. When he was done, he would sell them into slavery in Mexico, which was only a two-hour drive south from his home. So, yeah, he got into, you know selling women that he would torture and kidnap to the Oh he sold them? Yeah, he would sell them, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's you know, in nineteen eighty four Wait, like the who though? To the I it's people in Mexico. It was like a Mexico sex slate sex, sex trade. Sex trade, yeah. Um yeah. So he was really out there. So by 1984 he began boasting to his friends about his knowledge about every square inch of the elephant uh, Boot Lake, because he spent countless weekends there in his sailboat. He enjoyed water sports, boat parties, and fishing. And although the lake had several species of fish, it was best known for the yellow and flathead catfish that prowled its depths, which they would reach up to 80 pounds, and were known for being uh, voracious omnivores, eating anything and everything it comes in contact with, including the occasional meal of human remains. Nice, right. Nice. Right. So this dude likes going to a place where he could potentially drop some uh Right, so hold some on, evidence. Hold on, we're getting there. Uh so he had a reputation of being a kind and gentle person who was kind to animals and would find injured animals to nurse back to health, which was, you know, a stark contrast to this darkness yeah. that he had inside of him. Um friends who assumed he was speaking darkly hypothetically. Uh, they would recall him describing, while on his boat, the best places in the lake to hide a body. See, and, and that's why I don't take some people's jokes lightly, because you might right, have some right. fucked up person okay, literally telling jokes, you. Though. Yes, yes, but <laughs> it's a little different. I've known you for, like, a long time. Well, I don't know. These are people that he had known for at least four years at this point. Yeah, four you know? years isn't a long time. That's true. Yeah, but so he would describe <laughs> the need to cut them open to release outgassing, fill the cavity with stones, wrap them in chicken wire, and after dumping them in the lake, the catfish would take care of the rest. And the zero visibility and the algae in the water meant that no one would ever find what the catfish didn't take care of themselves. Damn. So that's something to stew on. Yeah. So, so he already had location set up. Well, you're going to see something pretty interesting when we get to the end of this, and I don't want to give any spoilers away. So okay, it's really interesting. His story is really weird. So we're going to talk a little bit about Jessie Ray because she's kind of important to this. Okay. Okay. So she was a spitting image of her father, and she she adored him. Like it was described that she would look up to her father. Yeah. Okay. So, she rarely got to see him, though, as he was constantly traveling. Like, he would work on mechanics and do odd jobs and stuff like that. He was always on the go, apparently. And as she was growing up, she was exposed to her father's masochistic lifestyle. She was introduced to that masochistic lifestyle at a young age. Um, he apparently did little to hide this from her. Mm -hmm. which is why I said that he failed as a father. 
Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. And she grew up with a tolerance for and also developed similar cravings. What do you, what? Yeah, she was into the same stuff. Well, I mean, that makes sense, though, if you're growing around that right, environment. Right, right. Um, she really only recognized the problem with her father at 19 when she witnessed a, a bondage torture session with the prostitute that resulted in the woman screaming in terror, who, after that, she fled naked, well, not, the late, the, the prostitute fled naked out of David's home in terror and never returned, and nobody knows what happened to her either. Okay. Right. Um, so that was when Jesse filed a complaint with the FBI and gave a sworn <laughs> complaint against her father. She began to tell to tell story after story of her father kidnapping and torturing women and then taking them to Mexico and selling them. When they brought in David, who was 46 at the time, he did not hide his behavior. Instead, he would gleefully tell them in graphic detail about his deviant lifestyle. He even told them it was difficult for him to ejaculate unless he thought of murder. What? Yeah. So I'm not knocking, like I'm not keep shaming anybody, but it's pretty fucked up. I mean, yeah, no. Like, do what you want. Like, be in the bondage all that you want. But don't fucking force it on other people and torture them. Well, yeah, that's no, where that's, you draw not, the line. that's not bondage. No, that's, that's not that's, consent. Yeah. That is, that is <laughs> This is the opposite of consent right here. Yeah. at that point. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah, so, can you imagine Ooh. being the FBI and a, a fucking man walks in all cocky and begins describing like being like excited about it like like i'm talking to you now being like i did this and this and this can, can you imagine no i'm being that fbi agent and being like the fuck so yeah, yeah here's yeah, what things no. get kind of fucked up though so even though his behavior was shocking and disgusting there they there wasn't a specific crime that they could pinpoint like there was no victim that they could identify so they were forced to let him go, even though they had a New York confession. Damn. And that led to another 13 years of David's terror reign. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. They could, they, their, their hands were literally tied. Like they couldn't do anything about it. So one of Jesse's best friends told reporters a year later that this was like the last time Jesse tried to break away to, to say to her dad and say, no, this is wrong. So she reported him, and then what happens? They didn't do anything. And that was the first and only time Jesse cooperated with law enforcement about her father. What? Um, yeah, it's believed that after this experience with the FBI, Jesse began to fully embrace who her father was, and he kept no secrets from her. What? People who knew them best described their relationship as close, like uncomfortably close. Jesse gave birth to a daughter herself a few years later in 1990, denying all the constant rumors that the biological father was David Ray, her own father. What the fuck? Yes, I don't think anybody really knows. She, there was rumors that it was his, and they were reported as being unnaturally disgustingly close. That's all I can say about that. So, the, so his daughter finds out that he's like this crazy serial killer dude well, and then like she embraces it and it's just like oh yeah by the way like we're gonna chill more i think what it was is that she saw that the fbi did nothing about it and maybe in her warped mind that meant that she that they didn't care about it and it was fine 
Oh, well, I mean, I guess if you're growing up around it and yeah. you dealt with so, it for then, so long, then the that FBI, could be a breaking point. The FBI, who's like these big figures, are supposed to be... Yeah, they're supposed to be heroes. Yeah, and they don't do anything about it. You yeah. think, okay, well, maybe maybe that's what she's thinking. I don't know. I mean, know? I could, I could yeah. kind of see that. I mean, yeah. So, after his brush with the FBI, um, it was kind of like it just made him even bolder. Yeah. And this is where we get into some of the really graphic stuff just letting you guys know Oof, uh he okay. began to use all his mechanical skills and started to build what is known as the toy box no he began by purchasing a 22 foot long cargo trailer he hung up a handmade sign that read satan's den and he installed an air conditioning unit to keep himself comfortable it was a constant work in progress over the years and was estimated that he invested over a hundred thousand dollars into it it was soundproof huh? escape proof and it had a reinforced frame and deadbolt lock. So he basically, like, made a fucking house. Yes. <laughs> um, so the ceilings and walls were adorned with unimaginable horrors. There was elaborate systems of pulleys, gunnies, weights, uh, pliers, clamps, whips, scaffolds, chains, padlocks. And there was drawings and figurines of women and various methods of torture. Uh. There was also medical cabinets filled with syringes and chemicals. What? There was a coffin... Lined with ventilation holes and various rings to restrain his victims as he sealed them inside. And wait, why would why would he put them in a car? I mean, I mean, he he liked to torture them. Like he got off on them being stuck and tortured. That's fucking. I know, but I've never seen anybody to this extent to where they can like. I don't. That just don't make no goddamn sense. Hold on. To me. So and the most. Probably grossest and horrifying thing was oh, an no. actual an actual medical grade gyne gynecological. Oh my god, why am I having trouble? Gynecological? Yes. Chair. So a chair from the gynecologist. Yeah. Modified to restrain victims and position oh, limbs as he saw fit. Christ. It was positioned in the center of the toy box like a throne of pain. And hooked up to the head and midsection were electrodes that he attached oh. to a generator used to electrocate various parts of their body, electrocate, electrocute, uh, along with cattle prods and laters and uh, and layers and lasers. Sorry. This, this is, is tasers. Yeah. Tasers. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's been a really long day for me. Uh, my brain's tired. Um, so it began the same way. And he never de deviated from his uh, time-tested methods. His victims were abducted from a road, a bar, or by luring a prostitute into a shabby RV. They would be violently beaten and shackled, and he would take them back to 513 Bass Drive. He would keep them captive, chained to the bed in his trailer as he inflicted unimaginable amounts of pain. And then days later, they would be blindfolded and brought to the toy box. When the blindfold was removed, they found themselves strapped to the gynecological... To the, the chair from the gynecologist. <laughs> <laughs> and they, as they were look, look around, they would see various tools of torture, such as metal and leather bindings, leg spreaders, doll collars, clamps, hooks, straps, and more. There was also chains, locks, handcuffs, bindings, gags, and other items that were used to repeatedly subdue and rape the victims and install fear in them again and again. And they would, yeah. They would see David hovering over them like a predator, and then he would play this tape. And so he got tired 
because he would be bringing constantly be bringing new victims and stuff, and he got tired of giving the instructions himself. So, oh God he, forbid, he puts a little extra work. So, in well, I mean, but he did though. God. He made a tape of the audio what instructions. Dick, though, right. <laughs> I'm actually going to play a little bit of this clip. It's like the first 45 How seconds of it. That fucking busy doing. How is right, he? Right. Okay, that all. So I'm gonna play this. How many, okay, quick question real quick, though. Mm-hmm. How many victims did he have, like, total? That's the Because I just want to know. We don't know. No? No. Is I'm there, gonna, like, an I'm estimated? Go, no, I'm going to get into that. Okay. This case is far from over, my friend. Okay. It only gets worse. Oh, great. Okay. Okay. So, I'm going to play the video. The So, when they, when they caught him, mm-hmm. it, they found the 45-minute audio. Yeah. Of his instructions on what he was going to do to these people. I'm going to play you the first 45 seconds of this. Okay. And I'm so sorry about this. Okay. So before I play this clip, there is an extreme trigger warning. I would not listen to it if you were easily triggered. It is kind of tough to listen to. Extremely. Yeah. But it is something that his... It, it's just disgusting, and I can't even imagine listening to this in that position because it made me want to throw up just listening to it. So, trigger warning before I play this. Yeah, so sorry about that. Yeah, that was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was not prepared for any of that. Yeah. So Yeah. So every time though? Every time. Every victim he had heard well, more than that. Apparently. Yeah, you said it's forty five minutes. minutes. Yeah. So they have to sit there for forty five minutes and listen to that? And then he would come in or what? I guess Or did he just like stand there and watch and listen to it? I don't know. It doesn't really ever Oh. Yeah. That's fucked. It's also hella lazy, just in my book, but it's also not, not, I've never heard of anybody doing something like that. Right. So, he also set up uh, video recording equipment to film his crimes, and he installed video monitors that were positioned so his victims would have to watch themselves as he tortured them. Um, It was believed he filmed every single session and that he would 
then sell the footage to dark networks in the underground bondage world who would pay pretty big money for his snuff films. Wait, okay. What? So he was doing this for income too? So he, okay, wait. He Not only was he selling these women to like a sex trade, but he was also selling the videos online? That's what they believed, yeah. So did they find the videos? Yes. Okay, so they still had them when they got him? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, he would keep his victims for days and sometimes up to three months. Holy shit. He was very careful to clean up and leave no trace of evidence. And he made sure none of his victims could be identified in the video. And so here's where that, you know, I said he got bored easily. Yeah. He would keep the victims until he was bored of them. So okay. how long he kept them just depending on when he got bored, which is yeah. really fucked up. Yeah. So, but I mean, obviously, he's using these people. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. no other reason yeah. for you to do something like this. So to when a he, person. when he grew tired of them, they would be washed thoroughly, scraped of any DNA evidence, and then he would return the clothes that they came in, and he would give them a cocktail of a powerful hallucinogenic drugs oh. that would make them forget the whole ordeal completely. So they, they, so did they know it was happening though while it was happening? Like, were yes. they conscious? Yes, but afterwards, when they'd be released, they had no memory of... Oh, so they couldn't tell anybody. Right. They what would the just f- lose time and have no idea. Couldn't explain how they got injured or anything. Okay, so... So he did... How Did anybody, like, die from overdosing then? No. Nobody died I'm from not, overdosing? Not that we know of. So how did he... Okay, how does he know the fucking perfect... I think it doesn't make any... Who is this dude? <laughs> That's we're gonna get into that. Like I, he, there for possible he perf- he probably had victims, but you, you know, with hallucinogenics, I don't know if you necessarily overdose on them per se. So they were all hallucinogenics, though. Apparently, so, okay, wait. Yeah. He w- he even told so you in that clip they that were would... they were also tripping too while he was doing this. No, I don't think it's like that. I think it's. <laughs> Well, if it's a hallucinogenic, then you're hallucinating in some way, shape, or form. Unless it's so much of it that it kind of completely cancels that. Whatever he was mixing it with probably didn't make them trip. Because it was something, it was something, and he even said it in that little clip, it was sodium something. But, yeah, so the FBI doesn't know exactly how many victims saw the inside of this toy box, but... Years later, they would find hundreds of tapes and photographs. Hundreds? Hundreds. Um, None of them were identifiable except one, and it was only because of a blurry image of a tattoo. Um, So the tattoo was blurry and hard to make out, and they enhanced the image of the video to the best of their ability. And when they had it, you know, where they thought that they could make identification of it, they released the video to the public, the, the picture. and. Soon, a woman named Kelly Van Van Cleave uh, came forward. She had spent time in Elephant Butte and was missing three days of her life that she couldn't remember. That was followed by bouts of severe depression, anxiety, and nightmares. Yeah, so we're going to get into a little bit about her. So, in the summer of 1996, uh, 
Kelly Van Cleve is a regular patron at a bar called Raymond's Lounge in the nearby town of Truth or Consequences. So a year earlier, actually, a woman named Jill disappeared and hadn't been seen since a bitter argument with Jesse Ray. It was never, it is now assumed, but never proven that Jesse was responsible for the disappearance. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, Kelly was having a rough time in a new marriage she'd rushed into and had become good friends with Jesse Ray, which is David's daughter. Yeah. And so one night after a particularly nasty fight with her brand new husband, she stormed out and headed to Raymond's lounge to drink and vent her frustrations away. She talked to Jesse about her difficulties and had a single beer. So, you know, all of the other. Patrons and friends of patrons, patrons and friends of hers left, and it was only her and Jesse. So she was kind of feeling uneasy and disoriented, which disoriented Jesus. You've been drinking patrons. <laughs> I'm tired, <laughs> y'all. I can't hear you out. Anyway, so she was disoriented. Dis- you guys know what I'm trying to say. Disoriented. Thank you. <laughs> Which, come to find out, Jesse had slipped drugs into her beer, and she decided that she needed His to go home. His daughter did? Yes. Oh, shit. Yeah. So she decided to need to go home, but her ride had long departed. So, you know, Jesse, being the nice person she was, was like, hey, why don't you stay at my father's home in Elephant Butte? And she drove her there. And that was where she was held at knife point, bound, and introduced to the toy box by Jesse and her father. So, this is like a father-daughter thing that's going on now. Yes. Remember I told you they yeah. were close? Yeah. So, three days later, David drove her to her in-laws, telling them he had found her wandering the beach in a disoriented state. As he returned her, they were fuming, assuming that she had gone off on some sort of drug binge. And her new husband annulled the marriage, and he and his mother laid into her viciously, telling her how irresponsible she was for leaving for three days and not telling anyone. So she was left confused and unable to account for the missing days. And she was apparently... So she comes home after this shit has all happened to her. Right. And she's 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 having marriage issues. Yeah. She's experiencing bleeding and there was injuries that she couldn't explain. So she took her few belongings that she had and left. So... Three years later, you know, she was living in Colorado and she was remarried, but she was still suffering from whatever happened during those three days. Well, yeah, she still didn't obviously. Know. Yeah. She had constant nightmares and depression, and she had the inability to be intimate with her new husband or even allowed her to see her un- uncovered. Yeah. Yeah. She had nightmares that haunted her of being tortured and suspended and in midair. And so eventually, through psychological counseling, she was able to piece together. Most of the ordeal she suffered over the course of three days in his toy box. She was hardly the first and certainly not the last victim to experience the horror. She can now see clearly on the footage that the FBI showed her of her helpless oh, naked body what? being put through unthinkable trauma. She had to watch? Yeah. I. What happened to her? I guess she probably wanted I mean, to, she, to I understand. Guess, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's probably a lot of closure, but at right. the same time, that's a lot. Yeah. Like, that would also be, yeah. oh, my God. So, dude, you know, surprisingly, David Ray. Is this dude dead? We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> I think so. I'm sorry. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing. We're far from over the story. I'm telling you. Oh, God. So, David had accomplices. I'm, like, sweating over here. This is making me so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. How do you think I felt 
researching this, I was literally the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my life. Yeah. Even more uncomfortable than Albert Fish. Yeah, and I thought that was yeah. pretty fun. So David had other accomplices besides his daughter Jesse because I don't think Jesse had what did what? I don't think Jesse had all there, like, there were more listen. So he had two oh of them God. named Roy Yancey and Okay. Cindy I'm sorry. Henry. I'm just gonna let you guys know. Stay the fuck away from Roy's. Just Roy's anywhere. Anybody I've ever heard of that has the name Roy. And Cindy Hendy. Let's not forget. Is C that her real name? Cindy Hendy. Cindy Hendy? Cindy Hendy. Like her birth given name? Yes. Oh my God. That's yeah. crazy. Okay. So, all right. So let's talk about Roy. Roy Yancey returned to the town of Truth and Consequences after he left the Navy in 1995, which is where Kelly was kind of from. Yeah. So he quickly became fast friends with Jesse Ray. Uh, they were considered inseparable. And, you know, Roy was considered a decent person by those who knew him. But, you know, said that he was highly impressionable and he did have a dark side that few saw. And Jesse actually nurtured his dark side over the course of their friendship and reintroduced him to the world of occult Satanism. Which he used, yeah, which he used to be into when he was in high school, but had changed his ways after the Navy and stuff. So, um, okay, I'm just, I'm just gonna say this, like, real, I don't, I don't think real, even real Satanists do this shit. No, like, no, I, and it's never <laughs> said that if it was really like part of. It had anything to do with the torture, like if there's like some kind of like symbolism See, behind word, it, or if they just did yeah, this on their own yeah. free time. Yeah. So Jesse and Roy became friends with a man named Kenneth Lee. He was a 43-year-old loner from Florida, and they would visit him quite frequently. He was a drug dealer, and he was very much gay, is what it said, which I don't know if that's relevant to it, but it said that he was flamboyantly gay and a drug dealer. Okay. Um, they would visit him frequently. And so one day the police were called to do a welfare check after they like described his neighbors called and complained about like an odor. And oh, what? They went to go check on Kenneth on New Year's Day of 1996 and they found his badly decomposed body in the front room. And there were splashes of blood that were found all around, along with black candles and pentagrams drawn on the table. And his death was ruled as a suicide by, what? Me by metallic poisoning after they found, um, they found a doorknob lodged in his rectum and his stomach uh, was filled with screws and bolts. Yes. I mean, sure sounds like suicide to me. Yeah. No. And um, I'm not really going to get into it, but apparently Roy and Jesse kidnapped uh his ex-girlfriend Roy's ex-girlfriend and took them to David Ray Parker and he actually confessed to the police a few, police a few years later that he claims that he Jesse and David wrapped her body in a blanket and drove to a canyon near truth or consequences and tosses her body into the ravine and then they went down with shovels to bury it under loose dirt okay yeah and after that happened apparently they left town and went to stay with an acquaintance in texas and they stayed for an entire year waiting for the disappearance of his ex-girlfriend to blow over and years later roy 
uh, would lead the police to the exact spot they had buried her, but she was nowhere to be found. So he thinks that David must have returned and removed the body, depositing it elsewhere, basically. Okay. Yeah. So let's get into good old Cindy Hindi. Okay. Because she's quite a character. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, after Jesse and uh, Roy return a tooth to consequences after, you know, that disappearance, uh, they drank and partied and gained the attention of a woman who had moved in town while they were away named Cindy Hindi. So she was actually on the run herself, moving down a tooth and consequences to hide from police in Washington State. She had a rap sheet dating all the way back to 1979 with felonies such as larceny, forgery, drugs, and fraud. And she was actually running because she was about to go back to prison for trying to sell cocaine to an undercover cop. That'll do it. So soon, Cindy began dating Jesse and Ray. Or not Ray and Roy, occasionally using David Parker Ray's trailer as sort of a love nest. Well, huh? Soon David became huh. involved in the arrangement as well, throwing a free for all parties with everyone sharing everyone. Cindy was especially interested in the bondage scene, and they enthusiastically introduced her to their own personal flavor of it, except that she wasn't a victim. Um, as time went on, uh, Cindy and Ray became much closer, and their relationship between them became exclusive. Uh, Roy had since begun a relationship with a man named David Rivera, and Cindy did her best to become a dutiful housewife figure for David, fixing him meals, cleaning his house, and doing everything she could to get his affection while trying to fight off the competition of another woman fighting for David Ray's affection at the same time. So... It said that on a hall uh, on Halloween in 1998, David threw a party in his trailer, complete with alleged instances of black magic and witchcraft, witchcrafts performed by Sydney, who had been recently introduced to witchcraft by Roy Yancey. And after a supposed black magic sacrifice to the devil, Sydney loudly announced her relationship with David Parker Ray to all the guests in attendance, which many have found strange, and she was also openly having a relationship with Jesse at the same time. What the fuck? Yeah. What? Yeah. So they became close very quickly. Uh, David found an equal in Sydney, or at least someone who was impressionable enough and wild enough to mold into the kind of companion he desired most. So eventually um, he started letting her get in and revealing more about himself and was like kind of like testing what she could handle. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And so finally it was time to put her to the test. Um, Cindy told David she was going out of town for a wedding and uh, leaving him behind without someone to satisfy his desire. Excuse me. His desires were unacceptable to him. So by this point, he she was so far in it that his suggestion didn't even like phase her. Um, they decided it was time to kidnap a woman to keep as a sex slave for David while she was away. Uh, bringing her into the toy box, he gave her a, a tour and demonstrated on dolls his scientific and methodical practice art of inflicting pain. She eagerly absorbed every word, and he gave her an 18-point list he had produced through years of practice, and it was a set of instructions for kidnapping and torture. And I'm going to leave a link to the list if anybody is curious, but I will tell you that it's pretty fucking gross. And it made my stomach hurt. And I felt nauseous. 
So it's pretty rough. But if y'all, I'm going to link it just in case y'all want to see it. If anybody's morbidly curious about that, Brittany, you can huh? read it later. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm good on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. It's already yeah. pretty, yeah. So, over the next two years or so, Cindy Kennedy was no longer an innocent bystander uh, or even just like an enabler or accessory. She was truly an accomplice. She was just as cruel and just as guilty as David. And she was just as eager to inflict pain and terror as, as David. So there was a woman who escaped. Yeah. And kind of brought everything coming down. And her tale really sucks. It sucks? No, I feel bad for her. Because she talks about everything that, like, she actually remembers. Oh, okay. Because they weren't able. So we'll, we'll get is into this, it. The same, this isn't the same woman with the therapy, though? No. Oh, okay. This is about Cynthia Vigil Jeremillo. Vigil Jeremillo? Jeremillo, yeah. So she escaped. Um, her story's pretty interesting and kind of sad. So on March 12th, 1999, 22-year-old Cynthia is running for a life down a dark or down a dark road. She's covered in blood, wearing nothing except for a metal choker collar padlocked to her neck. And so she uh, she had no idea where she was, what day it was, where she could go. And she stumbled across a uh, like a trailer that had the door open. And she barged in and she began like pleading for them to keep her safe. And she tried to explain what had just happened to her. She ended up uh, passing on the floor and falling unconscious, basically. So can you imagine just being like chilling in your living room? Yeah, and then, and then like, like a naked, bloody open. lady comes running in. Right. So here's where it kind of starts with her. So a couple of nights before she's you know broke into the house. Yeah. Uh, David Parker Ray and Cindy Hindi arrived in Albuquerque where they were seeking their next victim. So they spoke with a local pimp and offered thirty dollars for the service and they found 22 year old Cynthia and she stepped into the rusty beat up RV. As she entered the back of the camper, Ray produced a badge telling her that they were law enforcement. She tried to make a break back forth the way she came, but she was overpowered by the two of them and uh, a black leather mask was slipped over her head. Hours later, when she woke up, she found herself chained and bound. And as the mask was removed, she heard a voice coming from a nearby recording. So, you know, days later, after suffering all that nastiness at the hands of both David and Cindy, uh, she lay inside the house chained to the bed. David was at work while Cindy was in the kitchen preparing sandwiches. Although she was still chained and locked, uh, the keys to her restraints were kind of just, like, left out where she could reach them kind of yeah and so she was trying to make sure that cindy wouldn't come in she inched her way closer and closer to the keys so she was trying not to make any noise she managed to unlock herself uh she tried to reach for the phone to dial 911 but before she could connect cindy burst into the room and they fought cynthia knowing full well that her life was at stake um they she reached out and grabbed a hold of a nearby ice pick and stabbed Cindy in the skull, leaving a giant gash. And that's when she began running down the streets. So after the police rescued her, 
Um, she was, you know, hiding in the trailer. The officers received notice of a 911 hang-up call only blocks away. And so they were like, well, this is a small town. You know, it's got to yeah, be connected. Yeah, they can trace yeah. it back. Well, they figured it had to be connected. Yeah. You know, normally, uh, like, if we well, got yeah, a 911. Well, yeah, if some woman comes running and tells you that all the shit's happened. And, and that she had called 911. Yeah. And, and you see a cop, yeah. you know, being called. So rushing to 513 Bass Road, the officers banged on the door. And once they received no answer, they allowed themselves in with probable cause of trouble. They found shattered glass, blood, and endless amounts of pulley systems and chains. And that's when they called for backup. Um, so it's said in the article that they really weren't equipped for the horrors of his trailer. Yeah. Yeah. So investigators swarmed the property, dividing into eight, eight distinct search areas. They were having trouble getting a certain, you know, the trailer open and the keys are nowhere to be found. It took the locksmith only a few moments to get the deadbolt lock open. And this is when special agent John Briscoe opened the small door into the cargo trailer and stepped inside. He saw the chair, the syringes, the whips, the chains. He saw strange metallic bars labeled angle spreaders and knee spreaders and all the satanic imagery adorning the shelves and a video camera. And he was like, you know, there's no fucking way that there's video evidence of what happened. And so 36-year-old FBI agent Patty Rush, she was like, uh, you know, she was at, like, she was like one of the sketch artists. For okay. Yeah. Um, she was asked to go inside and create details of all the sketches of everything she found to hand over to the evidence response team. And she did as what she asked. She spent uh, hours over the next five days, next five days, sketching every detail of every horrible thing she found in there. Mm. She got an uncomfortably close look to all that stuff in there. And, you know, after five days, she returned her assignment and was told to go home and get some rest. Well, that night, she took out a revolver, held it against her head, and ended her own life. Holy so shit. So apparently, this was so graphic. That, that they couldn't live with the fact of it. Yeah, that the FBI just she couldn't handle it. She killed herself. Imagine being that person, the FBI person that was asked to go in and, and sketch it, and what you saw was so horrific that you couldn't well, I mean, handle something it. Something like that would be. Yeah, that I, for you though. Uh, Especially if that's your job all the time. Yeah, they said it was nothing compared because, like, the FBI oh, sees yeah. all Nobody kinds of cases involving like this. serial killers. You know, like they they've heard about like you know that time John Wayne Gacy and yeah, but they, I've never even heard of somebody that's like this. Like no. this is fucking no, evil not many of all people evil. know about him. Yeah, yeah. Cause so. Like, I knew small bits of this case, but I didn't know that it went, like, as deep and as fucked as this is. Right. Because, like, not only is it this dude, but it's, like, this dude has a family of people that are helping him murder and rape and torture all these people. Right. Right. So, let's get into where this starts unraveling. So... As the evidence was collected and, you know, all the leads were pursued and stuff, uh, the police arrested David Ray and Cindy Hindy, and they also arrested Jesse and Warren. Uh, Jesse never once, like, betrayed her father or anything, and he 
she never like admitted to the murders herself Obviously. that she committed. Yeah. And she also proclaimed that he was innocent, telling investigators that not only was Cynthia a willing participant, but so was every other woman who ever entered his toy toy box, you know, despite that there was evidence proving otherwise. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was a bunch of footed footage where, you know, there was no sign that the woman showed consent. And Cindy was like, no. That's no not. what? She was like, no, we didn't do this. It was consent. Since okay. Was, yeah. Okay. You got it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Completely defying the evidence, you know, against both of them. They appeared before the court and they faced 30, 93 years, 93 years in jail, uh, $85,000 in fines and bonds of $1 million each. So Cindy was very angry at the fact of possibly spending the rest of her life in jail she blamed David for uh, sucking her into, you know, she later called it his stupid bondage fantasies. And she asked him. Taking would, the lives of people and raping and torturing them or playing well, here's stupid the thing. bondage Here's fantasies. the thing. There's no actual victims of death. Most of the victims. Oh, they, uh, they, they released them. them. Released? Yes. That's Dude, where it gets. Like they don't know. That's even more fucked up. Right. Than they don't know how many people they actually killed. Cause he did admit to killing at least one. You know, okay, he, so yeah, remember he, he admitted to his first yeah, wife, yeah. but what they have on the tapes is them letting them go. Okay. Yeah. So these are like, Rape and torture charges, then basically, yes, and kidnapping. Well, I think they tried to get Kenneth. With, I think they tried. You remember how uh, they thought how Jesse and Roy had that friend named Kenneth? Yeah, you know, I think they tried to get Jesse for that murder. Okay, yeah, so. Anyway, she met with the investigators and gave a full confession to everything she witnessed, what she was a part of, and told them about any other crimes that he had committed. She literally told them anything. And if what she told them was true, it would make him the most sophisticated, thorough, and prolific serial killer in all of American history. No shit. Yeah. So they already met. The police already had a map of the Elephant Butte Lake with X's mark in various locations. And where they suspected there must be bodies. But this was like the first actual anything that they had confirming these suspicions. Yeah. So one. One what? Oh, and I was going to have to edit this out. Because I was trying to think of how to explain this. Oh, so Cindy told the investigators that Roy that he had confessed in killing Marie Parker, you know, that story I told you about, and yeah. that he would be soon later and brought in and confessed as well. And he led the police, as you know, to the place that he dumped it. Um, so after the trials had went on for the kidnapping and torture of Kelly Van Cleve and Cynthia with several dramatic moments, <clears throat> David continued to complain his innocence. And, you know, they played, the prosecutor played a incriminating 45 minute orientation tape play, you know, uh, he played for his victims and he continued to pro- proclaim that it was created for entertainment purposes. 
And it wasn't until he realized how much legal trouble Jesse was in that he, you know, was like, I'm guilty. So in exchange for her release, he would plead guilty to all the charges against him for kidnapping and torturing Cynthia and Kelly. And he would accept the maximum sentence in exchange for Jesse walking free from responsibility for her res res responsibility in any of it, in involvement in any of it. So she got to walk away? Well, yeah. In September of 2001, after she faced 12 counts of kidnapping, criminal penetration, and conspiracy to kidnap, Jesse Ray walked out of prison with time served. She was given five years probation and is a free woman. She left prison immediately. Uh, what? Yeah. Roy Yancey, who allegedly killed two people himself, accepted a plea deal, and he was released on parole in 2011. What? Yeah. Roy was released in 2011. And what? he's back to living in truth to consequences. Yeah. He's actually active on. No. No. No, 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 no. Not David Ray Parker. This is Roy. No, none of these people are supposed to be I know. outright. I, listen, listen, we're, we're getting to the good part. So, minute. yeah, so he's out. They're, as, all, they're free right now? Just listen. Cindy only served half of her sentence. She never really expressed any remorse. And uh, she walked out of prison on July 15, 2019. She has no supervision by the state. And Wait, what? what do you mean? Like she doesn't have like parole or uh what? Yeah. Okay, let me get a so okay. they're gonna give a fucking kid that took some articles a harder time the people that raped and tortured women yeah. in a torture chamber. Yeah. So that oh my god, this is why So listen, as much as the murders and me. that okay. so as you know, as much as the murders that David Ray Parker committed as much as they were horrifying he was never actually convicted for a single one of them they believe that he was guilty of as many as 30 murders over the course of his life That's and amazing. yeah so but a 2011 Joe Haas interview with Cindy put that estimate much higher oh my god yeah he said she said that he told her that he had killed at least one per year for the previous 40 years of his life, beginning at age 14. But police searched his lake property everywhere. They searched for years. They could never locate a single body. And although they would witness some of the killings on tape, none of the victims could be identified. What? Yeah, so they couldn't determine a victim, couldn't determine what, a crime. What do you mean they couldn't be identified? If it's on fucking tape. The, remember, he made sure that the faces were not... Seen in the video. Awesome. Yeah, he was smart. So after, you know, he accepted that plea deal, he went back to court for sentencing. They handed him the maximum sentence, but mm -hmm. an additional uh, third as aggravation for the brutality of his crime. So he had a total of 223 years in prison. And as he entered his cell, he slumped over and died of a heart failure in 2002. And bitch. having served less than a day of his formal sentence. What yeah. the fuck, though? That's fuck. Oh my god, he did. He had to do all this for forty years. Yeah, and between the four accomplices, a combined total of thirty-four years of prison time was served between them. Oh my fuck, Yeah, so all of them walk free today. Oh. Well, my mood just changed completely. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Hey, 
Yeah. So I got most of my info for this research on a documentary on uh, YouTube. If you guys want to check it out, um, I kind of covered the documentary almost thoroughly. Sorry, guys. Brett's still stuck on that. I've had time to process the fact that they're still out. out. Yeah. yeah. She was just released. Cindy Hindi was just released last year. Fuck her. Fuck all of them. Maybe that's why 2020 sucks. Probably. Shit. (laughs) I'll blame it on good old Cindy Hindi. But, yeah. So, yeah. These people are... (laughs) (laughs) That they do, my friend. That they do. So, I hope you guys don't hate us for this kind of mind blower. This is even worse than Albert Fish. I'm yeah, sorry, this is awful. Well, I, I would, I mean, thank you for talking about it, but fuck. Well, people don't really know about this one. I know. And I he know actually that. interests me simply because this man was smart enough to fucking destroy any evidence, make it to where his victims' faces could not be seen. So, even if he got caught, he cannot be held accountable, accountable yeah. because there's no victims, nobody. They can't. They can't charge them. They can't. Like legally, they cannot. And they can't even make up a bullshit charge because he would fight it because he's fucking smart enough. He had the money this to hire. Dude is worse than, than than anybody I've ever ever researched before. Yeah, this dude makes me want to throw up repeatedly. What the? Fuck? Yeah, he's nasty. Cindy Hindi is bad. His daughter's awful. I know shit, and she's just fucking out there walking around. And she has a daughter Chilling. that is oh, possibly yeah, no. the spawn of no. David Ray no. Parker. No. Yeah, no. yeah, no. yeah. No, I didn't. This this episode is. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, uh, fucking. I wish you guys could see Britt's face right uh, now because she, it, it's it's priceless. And she's like, see, I've had a couple of days because I've been working on this yeah, for a minute Yeah, I now. haven't had even I've a had minute. To, to I'm researching other shit right now. And dang, they're just, I'm just, that's awful. Yeah. Okay, well, let's. <laughs> <laughs> let's end this on a positive note. Yeah. Uh, we're making a website. Yeah, we are guys. in. We are in a. In the making of that rat man. Hopefully it'll be up by tomorrow. I'm doing it myself though, so fingers crossed for that. Um, yeah. I must definitely understand why people are paying people to do things like this, because it's highly difficult. Right. My brain hurts just thinking about it. So good luck with that, Britt. Sorry for no helping. Bye. Dog. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like z- z- fucking like eating myself out of here. <laughs> I expected you to be like, okay, no, I'm done with this case. And just, like, walk away. Like, it's one of those that make you, like, okay, what the fuck? I'm fucking done with this shit. (laughs) Ah, thanks for blinding me. You're welcome. It's payback. (laughs) Payback for what? For for just, for just uh, fucking my night up. (laughs) (laughs) I fucked your night up? I'm sorry. I thought my lovely presence would make it so much better. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, apparently I fucked your night up. But on a serious note, uh, if you guys can... Uh, if you haven't checked out the Facebook page, go check it out. I dropped a link for, um, fucking, oh my god. Give me one second. Journey's losing her shit right now. I know, I am losing my shit. Um, 
for uh, there's this little girl right now. It's happening right now. That's why I'm trying to get this out there. Um, named Sophie Long, and she's located in Texas right now. Her mom is in custody of her, and they've tried to take her case to court because she's being sexually assaulted and abused by her mom's boyfriend. And her mom is completely aware, completely, you know, okay with it for whatever fuck reason. And she basically lets her daughter get sexually assaulted and then blames her daughter and makes her feel like shit. And this kid is fucking... I watched the video of her going back to her mom and she is screaming and crying. And it is... It's just... It's fucking awful. So they have a... Um, a GoFundMe for her right now. Mm. And they have a petition that you can go sign. Go look at that. Go sign it. Go check it out. Go check out her case. Uh, she's all over Twitter. There's more videos and shit on her on Twitter. But uh, you, you got to get the information out there as soon as possible. Because the longer that this case is in the dark and not being looked at, the longer that she's going to be having to go through shit. shit. And the fucked up part of this case is that they, they tried to take it to the court, and the court completely was like, no, you're going back to your mom. And her dad, completely, you know, as far as I've looked up, he's trying to get her in his possession so that he, well, she's not being sexually assaulted. Unfortunately, the mother always wins in most cases. Yeah, yeah. but I don't understand how the fuck this is even a question. Well, I mean, you know, Alabama is one of those states for sure. It's, it's a lot of southern states where they always take the mother's favor, yeah, favor is, over the... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sadly. Um, but anyway, if you guys want to go check out more information, I have a GoFundMe on Facebook page for it. Uh, it's also on the Twitter page for us. Uh, Star Gravy Madness P is our Twitter handle. Um, but yeah, go check that out. Get the word out. Try and spread it around as much as you can so that hopefully this gets pushed forward and something can get, you know, done about this. Because it's fucking crazy. But, yeah, I think that's it. All right. Well, we will be back Wednesday with a brand new case, and this one is not disturbing and graphic. This one's actually... Yeah, we're going to take a breather yeah. <laughs> with you guys. This one's actually going to be pretty interesting, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, so. we're going to be we're gonna be pretty chill on the next one. Yeah, we? <laughs> pretty, pretty... You can kind of see, like, the, the, the taste and... Uh, like mine and Brit's yeah preferences because hers are like not as like fucked up and mine are like yeah here's basically. every serial killer <laughs> you could possibly think of doing all their horrific crimes yeah and then mine <laughs> is like you know people that are activists that you know are yeah gone missing yeah. and died in suspicious ways I think I like suspicious things and you're well, more into like the true crime right stuff. the aspect yeah of like the why yeah because i mean i've always been fascinated by that but i'm also into like the missing disappearances where people just go fucking missing and like there's so many weird Dude, circumstances I know. did going. you hear about that shit in australia the four people that have just disappeared no i wouldn't it was it's like 10 now oh shit yeah serial it was killer. over the time span of like two it's months a fucking serial killer there's a They're fucking serial so. killer in australia well, so they thought there was one in Seattle because of the, the bodies and stuff that they found in the suitcases. 
They washed up on the oh, beach. Shit, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Okay, well, anyway, we're, we're going on. <laughs> we'll be back now. Wednesday with a brand new episode. As always, thank you for listening.